How did you choose to spend your extra hour last night? Who did you choose to spend it with? Or maybe if you had your druthers, who would you choose to spend that extra hour with? As long as you weren't like me, and that is uh, waking up uh, this morning and, and looking at the kitchen clock and wondering, why in the world is it different than my cell phone? I was grateful to realize that, that my cell phone was correct and I had not actually overslept. Um, but yeah, so I didn't even uh, get the chance to enjoy other than knowing that I got an extra hour of sleep. That sure was nice. But that answer to who you'd spend that extra hour with, doing the same thing together, really that speaks to whether that person is a friend. A friend is someone who's on your side or embraces you as being on their side. A friend is someone who will entrust you with their plans and their secrets. A cynical saying uh, on a plaque about building friendship I read said, let us live, let us love, let us share our deepest secrets of our souls. You go first. You know what they call a person who acts like a friend, but they're not on your side? The person who you share things with and actually they, they act as if they're going to keep it in confidence, but they actually go and share it with others? They call that person not a friend, but a frenemy. The Greek writer Euripides said, one loyal friend is worth 10,000 relatives. Today we see what it looks like for Abraham to be a friend of God. My hope is that we can take from what we learn here and better understand what it means for us in living as friends of God. If you know Christ as your Savior, that's true of you. You live as a friend of God. We know that God's level of holy righteousness is beyond our reach. We know that a single sinful thought disqualifies us to be in relationship with him. Yet, being perfectly righteous is required in order to be in a friendship with God, to be a friend of God. Well, we've learned that Abraham was actually credited with righteousness due to his faith in God's plan. We, we've read that Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteous, as an as a accounting term, like, like someone placing a large amount of money into your account. God's righteousness was counted to Abraham. And as we've talked about, that's because Abraham's faith in the coming Messiah was such that when Jesus came and died on the cross, it paid for Abraham's sins as well. Abraham's faith allowed him to be a part of God's plan to bless the world with a Savior, Jesus. And we are able to be friends of God as we exercise the same faith, knowing him as Jesus on this side of the cross where we live in comparison with Abraham. Now, I'll, I'll say as, as far as it comes to a friend 
keeping, giving you secrets to keep. Thankfully, there aren't really secrets that God gives us as his friends to keep. But he does entrust his friends with his will to follow. And his will includes a way that he wants us to walk in. So let's see from chapter 18 of Genesis. Let's see how Abraham's friendship with God is put on display. So beginning in verse 1, we read, And the Lord appeared to him, to Abraham, by the oaks of Mamre, as he sat at the door of his tent in the heat of the day. He filled up his, he lifted his eyes, rather, and looked, and behold, three men were standing in front of him. When he saw them, he ran from the tent door to meet them, and bowed himself to the earth, and said, O Lord, if I have found favor in your sight, do not pass by your servant. Let a little water be brought, and wash your feet, and rest yourselves under the tree, while I bring a morsel of bread, that you may refresh yourselves, and after that you may pass by, since you have come to your servant." What we see here going on is, is Bedouin hospitality. This would have been very normal. And, and today in the uh, more of a Middle Eastern community, North African, uh, Arabian area, this is how a visitor would be treated. They would uh, be welcomed into the shade of the tent or, or the trees that, that the camp was, was uh, built near as we see here in, in our chapter. And, and these tents, this is not camping. These, this is glamping. These tents are quite uh, elaborate and cool on the inside and meant to, to shield the people that dwell in them from the heat of the day. And the question we don't really know the answer to here is when, at what point does Abraham realize that this person that he addresses as Lord, being that this is a, a, an address of respect as well, we don't really realize when he realized that this is the Lord God, the God of the universe. Sometimes, uh, like with the ESV, you, you're given a little bit of their interpretational understanding with the term Jehovah or, or Adonai, as we see here, that they'll capitalize all the letters in it, recognizing that that the term Adonai in this spot is considered to be referring to God. So we continue on. So they said, do as you have said. And Abraham went quickly into the tent to Sarah and said, quick, three seas of fine flour, knead it and make cakes. And Abraham ran to the herd and took a calf tender and good and gave it to the young men who prepared it quickly. Then he took curds and milks milk and the calf and that he had prepared and set it before them a lot a whole lot more than a little morsel and some water than he had, that he had uh, suggested that he bring to them again another characteristic of bedouin hospitality as well as it is when it says that he stood by them under the tree while they ate and we read and they said to him where is sarah your wife he said, she is in the tent. The Lord said, I will surely return to you about this time next year, and Sarah, your wife, shall have a son. And Sarah was listening at the tent door behind him. Now, Pastor Jeff handled 
chapters 16 and 17 last week, and, and from what I understand, he handled it very well, uh, explaining and dealing with the Arab-Israeli conflict, the understanding between uh, that, the, that the Arab people or the Persian people have regarding Ishmael, and, uh, but us understanding Isaac as being biblically the promised son. But one of the things that was expressed in chapter 17, verse 17, that I want to point out here is that Abraham, when he was told that he would have a son through Sarah, he laughed. We see in verse 17 of chapter 17, Then Abraham fell on his face and laughed and said to himself, Shall a child be born to a man who is a hundred years old? Shall Sarah, who is ninety years old, bear a child? And after Abraham suggested that Ishmael would suffice as his heir of the promise, Ishmael being about 13 years old at that time, God tells him, Sarah, your wife shall bear you a son. We see in verse 18 through 20 and 21. And you shall call his name Isaac. Incidentally, Isaac means laughter. And God continues, I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant. For his, de- for his offspring after him. And then he says in verse 21, But I will establish my covenant with Isaac, whom Sarah shall bear to you at this time next year. So I, I share that from chapter 17 so that you can see from chapter 18 that we're not too far away. This is not much later than chapter 17 because in both spots, as we just read in chapter 18 and we look back on chapter 17, God says... Sarah will bear you this son at this same time next year. And we see that Sarah, as, we, as she is listening at the tent door, saw this news as being too good to be true. We read in verse 11 of chapter 18. We're back in our chapter here this morning. Now Abraham and Sarah were old, advanced in years. The way of women had ceased to be with Sarah. This is a very poetic way to say Sarah had already passed through menopause, was unable by man's standard to have children any longer. We read in verse 12, So Sarah laughed to herself, saying, After I am worn out and my Lord is old, shall I have pleasure? And the pleasure she's talking about here, as we'll see, is the pleasure of bearing a child. We read, The Lord said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh and say, Shall I indeed bear a child, now that I am old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? At the appointed time, I will return to you about this time next year, and Sarah shall have a son. But Sarah denied it, saying, I did not laugh, for she was afraid. And God very mercifully and graciously said, No, but you did laugh. A lot of us who are parents or grandparents understand that moment where we kind of have to make sure that child recognizes, uh, No, you did do it. That's God's gracious, merciful acknowledgement with Sarah. Now Sarah's laughter, I believe, had taken a different uh, was taken differently 
than Abraham's was in chapter 17, where God only encouraged him and gave him more specifics, saying, no, I'm telling you, this time next year. And I, and I believe that, that it's likely that Abraham had shared with Sarah what God had told him about having a son. Um, you know, it, it did require both of them being involved here, if you understand what I'm saying. We see in chapter 18, I believe, what's different than Abraham's experience. Sarah's inability to believe and trust God's word as being clear. She had heard it from Abraham. And here God had made sure that he spoke it to her in her hearing as well. We see pointed here the limitlessness of God's ability it's something that God will explain throughout his word. As we see in Jeremiah 32, verse 17, the prophets say, Ah, Lord God, it is you who have made the heavens and the earth. By your great power and by your outstretched arm, nothing is too hard for you. What's also clear is that God sees it as important that Sarah is brought on board in faith with this process. It is not one hauled and one called, or one called and one hauled, if you will. We also read in Hebrews 11 how it informs us that Sarah's trust in God was important to the process. She is listed in that hall of faith, as we learned about just recently in Hebrews. As you can read in Hebrews 11, verse 11, by faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive, even when she was past the age, since, since she considered him faithful who had promised. God's mercy is also clear with Sarah, possibly recognizing her agonizing wait for a child. I want you to see from our passage here this morning how Abraham being a friend of God correlates with us. If you know Christ as your Savior, you should know that being a friend of God means that you trust God for what he's promised. The Lord makes a more public appearance to Abraham and confirms his promise that Sarah would be the source of the promised child. And Sarah shows her lack of faith until God confronts her with mercy. And we see that Sarah gets on board with God's design for her in submission, submission to God's mission for his man, Abraham. You might recall from 1 Peter 3, 6, this situation is used to exhort godly wives to respect their husbands. In 1 Peter 3, 6, you can read that, that godly wives are told just to, to, to respect their husbands just as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. When did she call him Lord? She called him Lord when God was touching on probably one of the most painful facts about her life. When she could have said in disgust, you mean this dried old bag of bones is going to give me a child? But instead, she called him Lord, a sign of respect of Abraham. And 
Peter goes on to write, and you are her children if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening, ladies. You know, think of a military operation. In a military operation, they need to be able to trust the intelligence. Whether it's a whole military coalition taking action based on the intelligence of weapons of mass destruction. Or if it's a small operation to remove or eliminate an individual or a group. The knowledge that they work from has to be worthy of their trust. Well, we face even bigger issues than some military operation. And we can trust that God has told us and he is trustworthy when he says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. And I who began a good work in you, I will be faithful to complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. Or as you can know from John 14, as you're probably familiar with, let not your hearts be troubled, our Savior tells us. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself, that where I am you may be also. We can trust what our Savior has told us. Husbands, trusting God's leading means trusting Him enough to risk even your family's wealth and their comfort to obey the mission that He has on His gospel mission for your family. Wives, trusting God's leading means trusting Him enough to trust Him to lead your husband And to live in submission to the mission that God has for him. Children, trusting God means trusting his command to obey your parents. Knowing that he has promised it will go well with you if you do. Well, being in a close relationship with God who directs everything according to his plan involves sort of insider information about his will for your life. So I want, secondly, for us to see from our passage that being a friend of God means that you let God's will reign in your life. We see in verse 16 another example of Bedouin hospitality. Then the men set out from there and they looked down toward Sodom and Abraham went with them to set them out on their way. This would have been a normal part of the culture of Bedouin hospitality, that if you're in the wilderness, if you're in a desert area, the person who has welcomed you into their home, into their abode, they would go with you then to help you find the right path to where you are heading off to, and, and Abraham is doing so. And in the course of this, God recognizes Abraham being his friend, being in a special covenant relationship with God, he recognizes that this means Abraham knowing his will. And and we see that in verse 17 where it says, the Lord said, shall I hide from Abraham what I am about to do? Seeing that Abraham shall surely become a great nation and and, and a mighty nation and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him. For I have chosen him 
that he may command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice so that the Lord may bring to Abraham what he has promised him. I want you to see first from these verses here that letting God's will reign in your life requires that you let God share his will with you. We're let in here on God's thoughts. We're let in on God's thoughts here to see what it meant that Abraham was a friend of God. As you can read in Psalm 25 verse 14, the friendship of the Lord is for those who fear him and he makes known to them his covenant. Recall that Jesus told us as his followers that his that this was part of a relationship with God through him. He says in John 15, verse 15, No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my Father, I have made known to you. You know, much of God's will has been made known clearly in God's word, and it is so important that we remind ourselves of God's word daily, that that we are in God's word daily, that, that we look to God's word and we look to him to give us what should be our focus for that day. And you can read in 1 Thessalonians 4, 3, a major aspect of God's will for your life, where he says, for this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you be made more and more holy, And he says specifically there that you abstain from sexual immorality. So God's will is is made clear throughout his word. That's one of the ways that, that we can better understand it. And walking in a relationship with God does not mean that you just know a bunch of stuff about him. It also means that his will is changing your life. And so I want you to see here that letting God's will reign in your life requires that you let God's will be reflected in your actions. We see the progression of sanctification that will take place in Abraham's life. God says, I've chosen him that he may not just so that he can live in relationship with me, but also that he may command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice. God making him a great nation, God making his name great, is going to come through Abraham's obedience. We see the progression of sanctification here that's similar to what we're told about in Ephesians 2. 8 through 10, where we are told, by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, so that no one may boast, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. It is a natural progression that we who know Christ as our Savior, who are made friends of God in Christ's righteousness, that God's plan is to sanctify us, to walk in His will. Let God's will reign in your life. So the Lord shows what it means to be His friend when He shares with Abraham 
his plans. And this friendship is based on God's choosing Abraham to bring about a great nation and to usher in the coming of the Messiah. And God's grace toward Abraham would result in Abraham teaching his children to follow God's way by doing righteousness and justice. You know, in order for a military operation to be carried out, someone within the group has to have a relationship with the top brass to have the the team's orders entrusted to them. And so that that team can then carry out the will of their commanding officers. And Paul prays very, uh, uh, very similarly for the Colossian church in Colossians 1, 9 through 10, where he says, We have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. In the same way, we should be seeking God's will, His direction. You should be seeking God's will and His direction for you in being a part of God's gospel mission in your daily life. Submit yourself to His plan and give Him free reign to change your life according to it. So next we see an interesting conversation between Abraham and God. And we have here an example of God allowing his friend to interact with his will and to intercede for others. So we read here in verse 22. So the men turned from there and went toward Sodom. These men being, these men who were were there with the Lord in God's uh, God doesn't have a human form, but he, he took on the appearance of a human form here for Abraham and our sake. These two men who will actually learn later in, in uh, chapter 19 that they are angels that go down into the towns of Sodom and Gomorrah. So we read that the, so the men, these angels, turned from there and went toward Sodom. But Abraham still stood before the Lord. Then Abraham drew near and said, Will you indeed sweep away the righteous with the wicked? Suppose there are 50 righteous within the city. Will you sweep away the place and not spare it for the 50 righteous who are in it? Far be it from you to do such a thing, to put the righteous to death with the wicked, so that the righteous fare as the wicked. Far be it from you. Shall not the judge of all the earth do what is just? So the Lord said, If I find at Sodom 50 righteous in the city, I will spare the whole place for their sake. I think Abraham kind of thought to himself, that was a little too easy. I bet there's not 50 there. We're not really sure. But anyways, he continues on. Abraham answered and said, Behold, I have undertaken to speak to the Lord, I who am but dust and ashes. Suppose five of the 50 righteous are lacking. Will you destroy the whole city for the sake of five? Or for the lack of five. And the Lord said, I will not destroy it if I find 45 there. Again, we read, Abraham spoke to him and said, Suppose 45 are found there. He answered, For the sake of 40. 
I'm sorry. Suppose 40 are found there. He answered, for the sake of 40, I will not do it. Then he said, oh, let not the Lord be angry, and I will speak. Suppose 30 are found there. He answered, I will not do it if I find 30 there. Abraham takes another shot out of here. Behold, I have undertaken to speak to the Lord. Suppose 20 are found there. He answered, for the sake of 20, I will not destroy it. Then Abraham said, Oh, let not the Lord be angry, and I will speak again but this once. And he's going to keep his word. Suppose 10 are found there. God answered, For the sake of 10, I will not destroy it. And the Lord went his way when he had finished speaking to Abraham. And Abraham returned to his place. I want you to see from this somewhat odd conversation that we're let in on, but, but really we are seeing in many ways what it looks like that Abraham was a friend of God. Being able to intercede with God. And by that we understand being a friend of God means that you plead for God's mercy for others. God shows his justice by revealing the level of wickedness that calls for immediate judgment. And God shows His grace by the fact that He would consider any people to be righteous. I mean, no one by Abraham's standard of righteousness in this city met God's standard of righteousness. This is all grace from God. And Abraham shows us his being used by God to bless the world. Through intercession. You know, in a military operation, it's very uncommon that a small group of soldiers are going to be able to, to do a whole lot of damage. And a lot of times they are there to call in the big dogs, the big guns. Whether it be airstrikes, hell, hellfire missiles, or artillery. They're going to be calling in coordinates or maybe marking the target with a laser in order to remove the obstacle, in order to remove the, the enemy obstruction. And in the same way, we have the opportunity to do huge work for the Lord in our prayer of intercession. And it's not in our power, it's not in the power of our prayer, but it's in the power of God brought to bear for that person or toward that obstruction in that person's life. We've produced a prayer directory for our congregation. And that is given to you as a guide to be able to pray, to intercede for one another. Use it for that purpose. And in the front of that directory, you'll find passages of Scripture that are given to you to insert those people's names into uh, those passages. For, for instance, like Ephesians 1, verses 17 through 19. Where you might say, God, please give Curtis the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of you. Having the eyes of his heart enlightened, that he may know what is the hope to which you have called him. What are the riches of your glorious inheritance in the saints? And what is the immeasurable greatness of your power toward us who believe according to the work of your great might? We should also be praying for our election this Tuesday. We should be praying that righteousness and life would be preserved on this earth. 
and in our land. We should pray as, as Colossians 4.2 tells us, continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. I want to tell you, I want to ask you, do your friendships, does your friendship with God involve you asking Him to show mercy and grace to the lost? Does your friendship with God involve you asking Him to show mercy and grace to the lost. He can do it. But I will tell you, it is a spiritual problem that needs to be dealt with in prayer. We're told in 2 Corinthians 4, verse 4, in their case, speaking of the lost, the God of this world, speaking of God's enemy, the devil, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel, of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. And then, but, but we're told also, thankfully, in verse 6 of 2 Corinthians 4, the God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. That is how any one of us came to know Christ as our Savior. God speaking His light, shining His light into our hearts. And that is how that person that you are praying for is going to be prepared for salvation as well. And what we're going to do here this morning as we close is we're going to gather together in groups and we're going to pray for these things ourselves.